Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 31. We live in a world that says, you know, <clears throat> well, we, we live in a world where the IRS says pastors can't endorse candidates. I want you to know today I'm not going to endorse a candidate. I also am not going to mince words either, and you'll probably be able to, you'll probably be able to figure out where I stand because I'm going to deal with the issues from the perspective of God. Every four years, we have an election that be, well, it begins with primaries and all that, and you get down to conventions. You know conventions, right? You have a Republican convention and a Democratic convention. Do you know that every four years they vote what their platform is going to be? In other words, these are the issues, and here's where we stand. If you follow it at all, about this time, you and I have been fully inundated with so many ads that we've tuned them out. Maybe you already started there. That's kind of sort of where I already start, you know, just kind of tuned out. I get my mailbox flooded. I get, you can't turn the TV on. You can't turn the radio on. And as our bulletin says, I just kind of want to read the intro to the series. This time of year, we're bombarded with political ads that twist, exaggerate, and sometimes even conceal the truth. Talk shows, radio personalities, and celebrities all have agendas and biases. Right or left, they all do. How can a Christian identify the truth? And what should we consider when determining how we vote? So today we're going to begin a series called Glorifying God with My Vote. I am not one of those people who believe because, for instance, there's not a candidate you're happy with, that you get the privilege to sit on the sidelines. Let me explain to you two reasons why I don't hold to that. Number one, my Savior died to give me liberty. Okay? He gave me spiritual liberty. And it cost him his life. Why? So that I could then put my faith and trust in him and he could shine himself through me and declare to the world <laughs> that there is a God to know and to be known. And so I have an opportunity in the nation that God has placed me, underneath the government that God has placed me under, to have a voice with my vote that expresses my love, not for a candidate, but for a Savior who died to set me free and build a new creation in this life. Secondly, there are individuals who gave their lives to secure that right politically in this nation, in the history of this nation. Countless men and women sacrificed their lives on battlefields so we would have freedom to be able to go to a poll and cast a vote. Now you might say, Pastor, you don't get it. I'm in, I'm in an area that is so one-sided. My vote won't matter. It matters to the people who gave their lives for that vote. Just in honoring them. 
It matters to a God who gave his life and desires that you be salt and light and let that light shine. It does matter. It does matter. Now, maybe that didn't convince you, but today I don't want to discuss a Republican or a Democratic platform with you. I want to share a message with you, the first in this series called God's Platform. I want you to notice some things, and I don't often preach topically like this, but I want you to notice some things from the Word of God that God is for. And I want to challenge you to use your vote to honor a God, to magnify a God, to glorify a God. In order to do that, then you have to be for the things He's for. You have to be on His side. And so I want you to know today that I don't always agree with Democrats and I don't always agree with Republicans because Christians don't vote Republican or Democrat. We vote to the honor and glory of God and that's what this verse says. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Now you say, Pastor, I know the context of that passage. Paul's dealing with, you know, being offensive to the brethren and all that kind of thing. And, and he puts this verse in there, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. Does voting fall under whatsoever? It seemed to me that whatsoever would mean everything, wouldn't it? So you say, Pastor, that's not fair. You sort of kind of tricked me into that, you know. I'm just, today I'm going to share a lot of scripture with you. I, I want to share a lot of scripture with you to give you what God is for. And the word of God is certainly for us doing all that we do to the honor and glory of God. Not to the honor and glory of us to, or me or, or a party. It's to the honor and glory of God. And so today, I want us to just consider that whatsoever ye do and ask you the question, will you honor God with your vote? It's not about race. It's not about personality. It's not about party. It's about honoring God in all that we do. And so we'll look at a lot of scripture. For instance, let me give you a couple of other verses. Ephesians 6, 7 says, With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Or you could look at Colossians 3.23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily. There's that whatsoever thing again. And whatsoever you do, written to believers, written to people who would say, I am a Christian, I, I name the name of Jesus, he's my savior, I identify with him. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And so today we're going to look at God's platform and by the way, you, you could find more things that God is for as you search out the scriptures. Being a Bible-believing church, okay, we don't try to allegoricalize or over-spiritualize ideas. We sort of take God at his word, so when he says something, we believe it, unless the passage clearly identifies with words like, like or as, and we know it's a picture. 
So when, when, when Paul says, under the inspiration of God, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, we take that to mean everything I do, I need to be God-conscious in it. Therefore, when I vote, I need to be thinking about God when I go into that voting booth. I need to be thinking about my testimony before the Lord. And so I'm going to give you today God's platform, what I believe are part of. I can't, you know, the Bible's a big book, okay? So there's a lot of things God is for. There's a lot of things God is against. And I'm going to give you that whole platform right up front, the things that I spent some time thinking about this week. And then I'm going to go back and give you a whole bunch of Scripture to consider with each and every one, okay? So first of all, God is for innocent life. We'll look at some scripture in just, a, in just a moment. God is for innocent life. Secondly, God is for moral and sexual purity. He clearly defines that in his word. Thirdly, God is for marriage. We'll see the Bible says he created it. And he created it between a man and a woman. God is for that. He's for marriage. God is for hard work. He is. He's for putting in an honest day's labor. I'll tell you what, it doesn't take a whole lot of observation to understand that our nation has a crisis of people who would rather a handout they don't have to do anything for than being willing to work hard to earn a fair day's wage. Which that's a whole nother thing I'm not going to get into. What's a fair day's wage? <laughs> How about this? Fiscal responsibility. Do you know there are over 250 passages of Scripture that talk about managing money in the Bible? You don't think God has anything to say about it? He most certainly does. He's for fiscal responsibility. How about this? He's for go government punishing evildoers and rewarding the righteous. Hey, God doesn't mince words. He, he says all the powers that be are ordained of him, and here's what they're supposed to do. In our country, we get the privilege of collectively electing those leaders. So when our leaders don't do this, who's responsible? I think it's those of us who voted for them. You say, well, I didn't vote for those ones. I know. But collectively, we're responsible. This is why God is just in judging nations, especially this one. This is why we can't <laughs> remain silent with the positions and beliefs and convictions that we hold to. We're to be taking the gospel, which, 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 Go, goes into all the world. We're to take the gospel into the darkest corners of this nation and we're to say, there is a God who does love you and sent his son to die for you because your sin separates you from God. And the payment for that sin is judgment and the wrath of God. 
Some people will look at the Bible and they'll say, Pastor, when I look at the Bible, I've had, I've had people who weren't believers and people who were believers say this to me. When I look at the Bible, I see a God of wrath and judgment in the Old Testament. You know those passages where he told the Israelites to go in and utterly annihilate a nation. I just can't believe that. But then, boy, you get to the New Testament and God's a God of grace. And God's a God of mercy. And God's a God of love. And you leave out 40 passages that say the wrath of God is upon those who are unrighteous. 40 times in the New Testament the Bible deals with that. That the wrath of God will be poured out on wickedness. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I don't want to be in that category. I want to be in the righteous category. That means that there is right and there is wrong, correct? And that means we need to determine what is right and what is wrong. So how do we do that? It's amazing to me that the Bible answers that question for us in the book of Timothy. All scripture is given by God and it's profitable for doctrine what is right. For doctrine. Right? What are some of the other things? Doctrine? What's that? Reproof. What is wrong? How about correction? How to get what's wrong right? And instruction. How about keeping it right? And so as Bible-believing Christians, we look to the Bible to tell us what is right and what is wrong, to tell us what God is for and what God is against. And, and we might, you might be able to say, Pastor, but that, those are instructions for God's people, not for the world at large. Right, but we're taking a gospel to those people that says, listen, God does love you, and he has, he has designed that sin, his justice demands that sin be punished, and you can either put your trust in Jesus Christ who took that punishment for you or pay for it yourself. And people can walk away. Listen, the truth stings. The Bible tells us that the wicked don't like the light because it exposes their deeds as evil. Yet we are, we are the very ones responsible to take the light, to carry the light. So the world wants to say, silence those people who think they know what's right. And let's tolerate everybody's idea of right. The only problem is you don't have a room for a wrong there. And so God says, here's one of the roles of government, to punish evildoers and rewarding the righteous pastor. Why did you get into all that? Because in today's world, we have a government that can't decide what's right and what's wrong. They, they govern by expediency whatever the greatest pressure is. That's how they govern. But who elected them? One more. God is for his people. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Let's go and look at some scriptures for each one of these together. So uh, you, you might want to use your Bibles because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a lot of scripture. I'm going to put one passage up on the platform are up on the screen for you. First of all, let's deal with God is for innocent life. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 6, we dealt with the story of Noah in our series, Truth from the Beginning. One of the first laws that God instituted, by the way, God did institute commands and laws in Noah's day, even though Moses had not come yet. 
And one of those things was this, to value life. And here's how he said that. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So every man, woman, child is made in the image of God. And that is what gives them value. A while back, somebody put on my Facebook a post that said, what would scientists say if they, see, if they discovered one-celled organisms on the planet Mars? What would they say? They would say, we've discovered life. That makes sense? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think? Yeah, We've discovered life. So then we ask ourselves when it comes to babies, does a newborn or does a, does a, does a baby begin to be a baby? when we have a one-celled organism that begins to grow. You can't have it both ways. You can't have scientists on the one hand saying, we're looking for life. All we need is one-celled organisms. And then those same people turn around and say, but this is a fetus. It's just tissue. Do you know there are multiple places in the Bible where the Bible says God will judge nations and people who do not protect innocent life. God is not neutral on the topic of life. Every life is created in his image. I, I want to remind you of Psalm 139 where David talks about how intimately God knew him and how God, God saw his personhood. God saw him as a person when he was not yet born. And so we have Psalm 139, 13 through 16, where the Bible says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me, personhood, in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect or incomplete, and in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. Notice this, when as yet there was none of them. You knew my fingers and my toes and my eyes and my ears and the numbers of hairs on my head, when as yet they had not even been formed. God is for life. So many passages deal with that and I've just shared two with you so many God is for life next I want you to see that God is for moral and sexual purity <laughs> we could turn to dozens and dozens and dozens of scripture this is not that whole verse by the way Paul is dealing with a church that has immorality wrong relationships I mean just it, it was it was gross sin and God said, listen, Corinthian church, flee fornication. That's all sexual deviations outside of marriage. And I'm not going to take the time to list all of those. But the Bible isn't neutral. On matter. The Bible says, here's what God is for. Let me read some other scriptures in case you might need some more convincing. Back, way back, by the way, God is, doesn't change his opinion, because way back in Exodus, when God did give the law, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Deuteronomy 5.18, neither shalt thou commit adultery. 
Matthew 5, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery or sexual impurity with her already in his heart. God is for purity. Jesus was for it. In Acts 15, 20, Luke wrote, but that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Turn with me to this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, because I want you to get the whole context. You say, what right does God have to say, this is what I'm for and this is what I want everyone who names my name to be for? How does God have that right to demand this of me? I mean, after all, it's not culturally acceptable. I mean, what's culturally acceptable today is people can do really whatever they want, you know? Boy, you, you hear what's being taught in, our, in some of our public school systems. That actually, that scares the fire out of me. We had a district this past two weeks approve a new sexual education program that taught middle schoolers how to use condoms for three different kinds of sex. The parents are all up in arms. But they figured it was okay because the Board of Ed was on, that, on, on the side of it along with two of the 700 and some parents in that school. My friends, God is not for that. He's simply not. Educating people how to sin is not what God is for. So 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 through 20, give us the, the answer to that question. I ask, what, what right does God have to... By the way, God can do what God wants to do, right? <laughs> He's God. But well, let me just give you a reason why. Verse 15 says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? We believe that when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that the Spirit of God abides in that person. He comes and takes up residence in us. Verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. God didn't make you to satisfy that passion outside the bounds of marriage. And so when we sin, we sin against our own bodies. And, and by the way, here's verse 19 and 20. Here's the answer. What? Corinthians, don't you understand that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Listen, when people first trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and they, they recognize, man, I am a sinner. I am separated from God. I have no hope. I'm going to face the wrath of God, but Jesus died for me. And I'm willing to repent of my sin and trust him as my Savior. They don't always know until they get in the word of God that God then says, because you're mine, here's what I want you to do. Because I've bought you. with my own precious blood shed on a cruel cross for you. And I rose again, victorious over sin, death, the grave, 
And I am offering you that same power and victory. You are mine. Your body, your soul, your spirit. You are mine. And there's that part of us that says, I want to be my own. And it wrestles against that new spirit that says you're not your own. Therefore, glorify God. By the way, we often want to fit somewhere, don't we? I think sometimes we need to adjust our wanter to want to fit in the best, greatest, most wonderful place in all the world with God. How do we find our personhood and our identity there? Instead of looking at the neighbors or looking at Hollywood and wanting our marriages to be like Hollywood or not. A lot of them don't get married and don't stay married. There's so many scriptures about this. First, First Corinthians 7, 2, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. First Corinthians 10, 8, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, 20 and 3,000. See, there's where God says, you know what, I'm going to deal with that sin. To the believer, he says, I am your father who will chasten you out of love. Galatians 5.19 tells us that the works of the flesh, which by the way reap destruction, are adultery and fornication among the list. Paul told the Ephesian church, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. You say, well, pastor, does it happen? Yes, it does. I'm glad 1 John 1, 9 is in the Bible that we can confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. I'm going to stand in here guilty, guilty of wicked thoughts and wicked thinking. I'm not standing in front of you as entirely innocent in this topic. I'm not standing here innocent today and saying, I've never saw another beautiful woman and had a bad thought. No. And so for us as believers, we must be conscientious that this is what God is for. And make sure we're among the people who repent and acknowledge and confess and forsake our sin. Because why? We want to glorify him. We're not our own. We're his. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. You see, God is for, next, he's for marriage. For this cause, Ephesians 5.31, if you turn to that passage, you could read it. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. I already did a message on the sanctity of this great institution made by God for a man and a woman. Unfortunately, we have a group seemingly to grow in popularity, at least growing in voice, that would tell us we can redefine this, that we can change this, that we 
as a society can decide what we want to do with something that God made. It's not ours to mess with. It's simply not ours. It's his. Marriage belongs to God. So when I go to the polls, I'm going to be going to vote for marriage between a man and a woman for life. That's what God's plan is. That's what he's for. It matters not that that doesn't always happen. It matters not what the divorce rate is when I, when I deal with this issue. Because I'll hear people say to me, well, pastor, haven't you seen the divorce rate? Marriage doesn't work. Well, guess what? Marriage does work when it's done God's way. When both parties take on their God-given role and understand I'm doing this not for myself. I'm doing it for the glory of God. But when self comes in and it's about what I get out of my marriage, that's when you get in trouble. There is no other, other entity that's more stable for children to grow up in than in a home with a mother and father. You see, you don't get the whole story from the media. You don't get the stories like I read on Facebook recently of a young man who grew up in a home with two mommies and how confused he was in even knowing how to deal with relationships and how so confused and everything his life was and all the persecution he went through. You don't hear that side. But I'll tell you what, you can go to hospitals and you can see individuals dying with AIDS and all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases who try to mess with marriage and mess with sexual and moral, moral purity. Try to come up with some other way. Can't improve on God's plan. There are so many scriptures, once again, that deal with marriage. When Jesus said in Mark 10, 11, and 12, He saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Jesus was for, for, for strong marriages for permanent marriages. That's what he's for. And I just simply want to say, I'm for that. I want to be for that. I want to be for what God is for. Whether or not I've sinned in one of these areas, because we have a God who forgives and restores, we can be for these things without having to say, I'm perfect in these things. I want to play for you. I think I'm going to try to play this for you. I don't know where it went, though. Little. I was going to play for you. The historic parties here in the United States adopted the sins of Romans 1 as their platform. This is a new day in our country. Parties which used to differ on economics now differ dramatically on issues that invade the realm of God's law and morality. In an ideal situation, their platform would mean that the government passes out condoms so people can fornicate at will. For those who happen to get pregnant in the process, the platform advocates that you kill the baby at the will of the mother, up and including the ninth month. At the same time, it advocates homosexual marriage, which is an oxymoron, an utter impossibility, and a gross violation of the law of God. And then, to add to that, uh, the murder of abortion and then a platform originally leaving God out. All of that's Romans 1. Romans 1 says God will judge, God has judged throughout human history, nations that experience sexual freedom 
Romans chapter 1 lays that out clearly. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against those who advocate sexual freedom, sexual conduct outside of marriage. And that's an indication of uh, the demise of a nation. And then Romans 1 also says that God will judge those nations that advocate homosexual behavior, men with men, women with women doing what is unnatural. They are also haters of God, haters of God. Leaving God out, advocating abortion, advocating homosexuality, advocating uh, free sexual conduct and government-provided condoms so that everybody can do what they want, that is literally creating a platform out of what God hates. This is not about politics, although there are things we could talk about. Uh, you're not voting for a pastor. You're not voting for a spiritual leader. You're voting for someone who has some sense of morality. Since the Bible says that the role of government is to punish evildoers and protect the good, you better have somebody in power who understands what is good and what is evil. And if you think homosexuality, abortion, sexual freedom, hating God are not evil, then you better go back and check your Bible again. How can people with that kind of agenda protect those who do good and punish those who do evil? That's Romans 13's definition of the role of government. We could talk about foreign policy. Should we protect as many defenseless people from evil aggressors as possible? We could talk about economics. Is it right to get into uh, irreparable debt? Is that responsibility? We could talk about that. We could talk about the economics of if you don't work, you don't eat, which is what the Bible says. But those things are not what concern me. I've seen something happen in these conventions that is just stunning. The adaptation of a Romans 1 platform, sexual freedom, homosexuality on an equal level with marriage, the murder of infants and the elimination of God. And by the way, I didn't like it any better when they put God back in because that's blasphemy. To connect God with that agenda is a horror. It's a horror. It's taking His name in vain. In fact, I don't think God should be in either agenda. But when you have, when you have an advocacy of support for the slaughter of infants and, and homosexuality and complete sexual freedom, you have a formula for divine judgment. If we have any sense of justice, if we have any sense of righteousness, if we, if we want to make a little bit of a voice heard about what is right and about the role of government being to punish evildoers and protect the people who do right, then we better step up. I'm not sure what God has in the future, but I do know we can take His side and give Him honor. Now that you've heard from John, let us know what you think. I'm not somebody who advocates all of what John MacArthur preaches and teaches. But I want you to know I'm not the only pastor out there saying this. I hope today that we stir a little bit of righteous indignation I hope today that we, we, we say and that you get the point when we go to the polls, we vote for the honor and glory of God and that it's a cop-out to step out on the sidelines and say, I'm just not going to vote because I don't like the candidates.
Silence often gives consent. We talked about God is for for a hard day's work. John MacArthur pointed that verse out. There it is. And there are are many other verses. We, We read three at the beginning. Do it with all thy might. Do it heartily as to the Lord. Whatever you do, eat or drink, do to the glory of God. That's not passive. That's active. It's active. Work hard. Listen, Jesus told us a parable about three or four different people who agreed to work for like a penny. One worked all day, but that was the agreement and got the penny. Another worked a short couple of hours and got the penny, but that was the agreement. Today we live in a society that says everybody's got to have everything equal. That's what the Bible teaches. God's for hard work and for you getting what you agreed to get. It's for honoring contracts. There's a lot of verses that talk about fiscal responsibility. I said, I told you there were 250 of them. I just want to share this one with you. The rich ruleth over the poor. You know, that makes everybody mad. What do we hear today? Tax cuts for the rich. And I don't even want to get all down that whole policy issue. All right? The Bible tells us that those who will have will rule over those who don't. So if you don't want to get become, by the way, that word servant means slave, then be careful about going into debt. There's another verse that says, if you go into, a de- into debt and cannot pay, that the very bed you sleep on can be taken from you. See, it's not that God hasn't told us to be fiscally responsible. It's that we live in a culture that says, borrow, 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 and pay later. But somebody's got to pay. Who owns, sorry, I'm, getting, I'm meddling, but who owns the debt of our country? That is who controls us. Who do we owe those trillions of dollars to? We're their slave, by the way. Because if they came demanding, how are we going to pay up? God is for good government. Righteous government. He says that government is a minister of himself. And you might say, Pastor, you know, I know the Bible. I've heard people justify not voting this way. You know, the powers that be are all ordained of God, so we're going to get whatever God decides we're going to get. Right? So why bother? For all those reasons, for honoring and glorifying God, that's why bother. And yes, if if we get evil, wicked rulers, perhaps it's part of God's judgment. Because we're, we're allowing ourselves to become silenced. We're allowing the truth to go unspoken. I'm not saying be unkind, be cantankerous. I'm not saying blow up your neighbor's house if they don't agree with you. This isn't a hate speech. This is a stir up righteous indignation and stand for the truth message. This is a stand with God message. In such a critical time. Romans 8.31, there are so many psalms and proverbs and other scriptures that say in reference to God talking about his people that I am for you. 
See, sometimes we let fear and intimidation from non-God-fearing entities and people silence the truth that is in us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's in us. The truth is here. God is for these things. I want to just close with this question. Will you honor God with your vote? The Bible says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Righteousness is exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, Proverbs 14, 34. Will you honor God with your vote? But you know, in order to answer that question, we have to ask another question. Will I honor God with my life? Will I honor God with the way I choose to live? Will, I, will my life demonstrate that I'm for life? That I'm for fiscal responsibility? That I'm for marriage? That I'm for moral and sexual purity? I don't just talk about it. I'm for that. That's in the fabric of the way that I live in the power and grace of God because I want to be on God's side. Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? The question that begs the answer that no one But sometimes the question's not, is God for me? He's for his people. The question is, are we for God? That's the question. Am I for God? So I ask you to ask yourself that question first before you go to the polls and glorify God with your vote. Father, I pray today that you would work in our hearts and lives. We live in a world that pressures people to be silent, to not talk about certain things, to not stand up for righteousness. It comes under the guise of tolerance and all these other things. And Real love causes people to stand between others and destruction and to say, if you walk this path, you will be destroyed that's love, but today our world has said that's intolerant. Telling people that there's a right way to live and a right and a wrong way, telling people there is moral purity and sexual sin and drawing that line in the sand is not us expressing intolerance or unkindness, but done in the right spirit is an act of love. But our world doesn't know the right definition of love. And so God, it behooves those of us who know you and have experienced a God who stood between us and hellfire, paid our penalty for for our sin for us, so we could be made in your righteousness. And you stood on a cross between us and hell, died, and say, come unto me. So many bypass the call and the love and see it as intolerant and continue their fast, quickening pace to the destruction of hell. 
God, help us to stand for righteousness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.